This message was presented at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Hello, everybody. Everybody awake after a big lunch and another seminar. Now we're going down the home stretch before supper and another meal and then going to. Okay. Hey, good to have you here. How many of you, this is your very first seminar that I'm teaching that you come to? Raise your hand. Look at these brave people. Look at that. Okay. Do you want to warn them now so they can get out before it's too late or not? Okay. We've been having a wonderful time and we're, this is about God's wonderful work and how we can be a part of it to help motivate and mobilize many people in it. Okay. So what happens is God's work can happen anywhere and people are receptive everywhere. So we really want to be tuned in to him. Some of you who were here a couple sessions ago know that I said in one of the seminars that at breakfast this morning, some of the workers there serving, and always thank them for doing that. You know, some of them have some tough lives, quite frankly. They just say, thank you for your help. Well, okay. And then if you can, give them some glow tracks. So this morning... I was there and, and I was about, I just finished eating and I was about to leave, come up, teach a seminar on how to share your faith. And I'm walking past people who need to have their faith, your faith shared to them, you know? Sometimes we go to seminars to share our faith, walk past people who are waiting to hear. And so there were these ladies. And I said, thank you ladies for helping us so much. Let me give something that'll brighten your day. I gave them each a couple of glow tracks and a My Language, My Life card. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And they saw one of the glow tracks was on in Spanish on the Bible and nutrition. Oh, 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 wow. And one of them said, do you have a Bible in Spanish? And I said, I don't, but I can try to find one. Do you need one? Yes, I would love to have a Bible in Spanish. And then I said, okay. And, and I said to the other lady, do you have a Bible? Well, no. Can I have one too? I said, well, I don't know. I can't promise, but I'll see. And so I heard that. So here I find in this facility, on this day, just down here, are two people asking for a Bible, asking for Spanish Bibles, who probably would welcome Bible studies. You, you get that picture? How can you want Bible studies if you don't have a Bible? So, in my early days as a pastor, that would have stressed me out. Because I think, well, I need to help them. I got to go do that seminar. What if I don't get to the seminar in time? But I need to help. And, what, what? and I forgot that a lot of times God wants us to look at other people and say, could you help? Could you help? Could you help? So I came up, I took a picture of them came up and put it on the screen. And I asked the first seminar session this morning, I told the story and I said, could any of you help get a Bible to these ladies? Come here, ladies. These two ladies did not know each other, but now they're best friends. That's what happens when you serve the Lord. You have more friends. People who don't have friends need to start serving the Lord and they'll find partners in ministry. You see how that works? You didn't know each other. You weren't sitting together, but each of you kind of 
I said, could you see if you can find? We, we didn't promise. Don't promise what you can't fulfill. But we didn't promise. But can you see if you can find a Spanish Bible you can give to them? And so they each raised their hands. They came up after the seminar. And I want you to tell me a little bit about what happened from there. What did you do to find Bibles? What did you do to find these ladies? We had their first names. And uh, what happened from there? Who's going to tell Okay, I'll tell the first half, then you tell the second. <laughs> so what we did was, when I got to know that they needed the Bibles, so I messaged on the app, GYC app, if anyone has an extra one, or if they could arrange one. Use so, the app, use technology. Yeah. yeah, so, and she had one which she uses, and she was ready to give her own Bible. Wow, would you be ready to give your Bible away to help somebody who's looking? <laughs> so then um, I was waiting for a response. But fortunately, I know the assistant of the president of GYC. So I messaged her to ask if she can you know, arrange for two Bibles. And she said that she can do whatever she can. And she looked around places, but most of them were closed. So then she messaged me saying that there is one place they're heading towards right now. And if they can get it before these ladies leave... So they will do it. And I was like, sure, why not? And before we, once we ended this session, I got to know that they have the Bibles. So we went down, we took the Bibles from them, from her, and then we went inside, we had our food and everything, and we were looking for those ladies. So she was able to find them, and then she can tell you what she spoke to them. Okay, all right. So we all, we knew that they weren't working tomorrow, it's today. We're gonna, and you mobilize people, okay? Yes, I started looking for them from the picture, and um, I couldn't find them. I thought they left. So I spoke with one of the guys who was helping cleaning up, and he went all the way to the inside of the uh, working area to find them. They were so happy when they saw me, and I said, wait here. I'm going to get my friend. So I went for her. We brought the Bibles. We took a picture with them. And then as soon as they get the Bible, they're like, is this Bible good enough for us to like study and do some research on it? So I started looking in the back of the Bible. I said, well, we have special um, tracks where you could study specific subjects. Would you be interested in it? They said, oh, yes, we are interested. So we went all the way to find the, um, the ones we distributed yesterday when we went out. And they were helpful enough. We still have some. Unfortunately, when we went back to give it to them, they were not there. But I had their phone number. So we asked a lady there, and since they weren't there, we asked her if she wanted to have some Bible studies so she could study. And she's like, I only have the Reina Valera, that's the Spanish version of the Bible. And said, yeah, that's a good Bible for you to read from it. So we gave her some Bible studies. And she was very happy about it. She didn't want to pray with us because she's like, my boss is watching me now. <laughs> but um, she received the material. Uh, I, since I have the phone number from one of the ladies, Leslie, I forwarded to her the information for the address of the church, which she found. And I also let her know that we have the material if she wants us to provide it to her today or if um, she wants it through the mail. Isn't that awesome? Now... How do you feel about this? Did you feel like this was a burden or a blessing? A 
a blessing. <laughs> I cannot stop smiling. I'm telling you. <laughs> okay. All right. So, you know, this is just because we see a need. God opens our eyes to see a need. We can't always fulfill it ourselves. We don't promise to do something we can't do. But we say, I'm going to try. And then we really do try. And we put it out there. And then you put it out wider. And more people got engaged in the process. And now there are two workers right here who have Spanish Bibles. And their co-workers that have Spanish lessons to give to them when they see them next. And then one other interesting thing about this. Help me read your first name again. Puja. Puja. Um, you're so on fire for the Lord here. Um, are, how long have you been a Seventh-day Adventist? So by religion, I'm Hindu. But I'm learning about Christianity and Seventh-day Adventist from last two and a half years. And I love Jesus and I have accepted him as my savior. She's going to be a Seventh-day Adventist officially soon. She is in her heart. All right. Amen. God bless you, ladies. All right. Thank you so much. Anyone, anyone can share. Anyone can do something for God. Oh, that's a blessing. You ladies have blessed me and blessed everybody. I love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. How to multiply groups for ministry, mission, and church planting. And let's say this verse one more time because it's powerful. Read it with me. The harvest truly is great. The laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go and remain in the same house. This was said to the 70 as part of their instructions to go out. How many went out together? 70, but did they all go as one blob? Two by two. And they were told that when you go to a town, you just cover the whole town? Or what were they told to do? Look for a person of peace. Okay? That might take a little while. But you are being gracious and you're helping people. But you're looking to see who is showing signs of real openness and, ma and making decisions. Not just friendliness but willing to take steps with the Lord. Okay? And when they found them, stay at that place. Stay at that place. And that becomes your home base. It says don't move around from house to house. That's your home base to work around there. And so this is a key principle. Notice you had two people coming to the town who now united with one person in the town. And they could work together for the town. And for the person who was right there, hosting. Three people is a group. Okay, you can have larger groups, but three people is kind of a basic group. It's kind of the basic group for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Okay, so we want as many groups functioning in a healthy way in a church as possible. Because every group, if it's healthy, will be bringing people in, building them up, and sending them out. Okay? We're going to talk about ways to get there. The first basic group is the family. There's a lot of talk in churches about discipleship, how important discipleship is. You ask a hundred people what discipleship means. And you get 200 answers. It's all different ideas. 
But the simple thing is to go to the Bible and say, how did discipleship happen in the Bible? In the Old Testament, it was primarily in family. In the New Testament, family was still there, but small groups were added. They met at the temple and from house to house. Okay? So in our churches, we need to be very aware of strengthening families. It's not about getting things done. It's about growing people and strengthening families. Now, I don't have the time to unpack this whole thing. This is a whole other seminar, but I want to at least put this on your radar. You want to get an A in these seven F's. (laughs) Okay? The single most important factor in helping children grow up loving Jesus and loving the church is interesting family worship. If you don't do any other thing in your home, work on that. Interesting family worship. How do you do it? You try to find a time that works with all the crazy schedules. Try to shut off the media. And you try to have a variety of things, but always have something directly from the Bible, because that's God's voice to us, and prayer, because that's our voice to Him. You can, do, you can read mission stories and devotionals and character building stories and nature and Bible games and all kinds of stuff, but always listen to His voice and let Him hear your voice. Okay? So family worship is what our family really worked on. And if you Google Dan Cerns and family worship, you'll see an article they put in the Adventist Review a few years ago on some of those things. But I'll just tell you a couple of quick stories because it's so, this is such a crucial thing in terms of starting and multiplying groups. We don't need to start a bunch of groups if our families are falling apart, okay? We're strengthening the families and adding groups. So when I saw that research, we had two little boys. Our daughter came later. And I told my wife, we've got to get this family worship thing down. How are we going to do it? We're, we're erratic and inconsistent. We try, but it's not. So we began to be more proactive. And we'd find a time that would work with everybody's schedule. And we started with just five or ten minutes. Just start short. And if nobody in your family wants to do it, you start alone until you're consistent. But don't act like a martyr. Well, I guess I'm the only holy one around here. No, don't go there, Okay. But you, you, you become consistent, and then you can invite other people, okay? And then, so we, and then we, um, it quickly developed into 10 minutes and then 15 minutes, but we put different people in charge of family worship. We found the kids are more interested in family worship if they're in charge of family worship. They can pick the stories and the songs and the activities as long as they're those two things. Bible, prayer. Okay, And we put on that calendar in the kitchen, Dad's week, Mom's week, Jacob, Dustin. When each of the children would turn four years old, they'd get a week of worship to be in charge of planning worship. That became the spiritual training laboratory for our kids in leadership, is being in charge of family worship. So one time, Danessa, our daughter, had just gotten in the rotation. She's about four years old. And she comes and it's time for worship. She says, tonight for worship, we're all going to do a craft. 
we had never done a craft for worship before. And if the parents were always in charge, we never would have. And if her brothers were in charge, they... and I said, so what do we do? Well, she had gathered the scratch paper and the pencils from the drawer and she handed a piece to each of us and a pencil to each. She said, I want each person to draw a picture of Jesus. And she proceeds to draw a beautiful picture for a four-year-old and I proceed to do stick figures of Jesus and angels and second coming and a cloud and a tree and a, and a, and a few birds and the sun over here because I never got past second grade art. That's pretty well it for me. And so after we're drawing for a little while, she stops and she starts looking around like a teacher. Today she's a high school math teacher. Starts looking around. Daddy, I think you can do better than that. (laughs) I said, I wish I could, but I'm doing my best. But that's part of worship. That's one of our memories of that time together with the Lord. And then one time when Jacob was in charge of family worship... He is in eighth grade, and he said, tonight for family worship, we're going to play Bible freeze tag. And I'm thinking, is this worship? Worship? Bible freeze? I said, how does that, how does it go? He says, I'm it, and when I tag you, you're frozen until you say a Bible verse from memory, and then you can run around again. But you can't reuse any verses. And we said, but... And he says, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, you better scatter. Okay. And so we're running around and he tag us and, and trying not to knock over things. And he tag us and, and it didn't take that long to get through. Jesus wept for God so loved the world in the beginning, God created. And then we began realizing we need to do more about storing God's word in our mind that we might not sin against him and that we might have a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so that was a good activity. Two, Dustin, our second son, taught himself to play the guitar. And when he was in academy or high school, he just loved to play the guitar and sing songs, spiritual songs. By that time, our family worship had grown to 30 minutes each, each evening and an hour on Friday evening when we weren't scattered or, or wherever. And so he knew what was required. So his week of worship, 28 minutes of singing with him playing the guitar, and then the required Bible verse and prayer, and we're done. All three of our kids are spiritual leaders today. All three of them went through some pretty bad times. But we're able to have the family worship be the centering place. And when they went away to college, they'd come back on vacation. They'd say, can we be in charge of family worship this week? They want it to be more interesting than if we were. So I won't take as much time on the rest, but family is the beginning group. And we want to strengthen all of our families. And if people are single, we need to encourage them especially to be in groups. Because God knew the families would break down and over time. And we'd need small groups to supplement that. And even if we have a family, to supplement that. So family worship, family time. Whoever's in charge of family worship last week gets two hours to plan family time this week in our household. Forgiveness and encouragement, so crucial. Family finances, teaching the kids little how to manage money God's way. Tithe, offerings, savings, and then spending. Faithfulness and Sabbath keeping. Not a long list of rules, but pursuing rest, blessed, and sanctifying activities. Flexibility and fun. 
and then our main focus being looking forward to the second coming of Jesus and helping everybody get ready for that. So these are some things to multiply in your, in your own home and in your families and in your circles of influence. Do what you can to strengthen that group. Now let's go through groups. I'm going to go through a number of slides on groups, and so try to stick with me, and then I'll tell some stories and illustrations at the end. What does a healthy group look like? I've been to a lot of group training. They say, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, do this, and do that, and it's all good. But if you want to do a quick check on if a group is healthy or not, here are the things that should be showing up in the group. A group is a place to know and be known. You know the people, they know you. To love and to be loved. You love them. You don't always like some of them or some of the things they do, but you love them and they love you. To serve and be served. Where we can help other people. To celebrate and be celebrated. Milestones in our life. To win and be won. To Jesus, his word and his final movement. Okay, so the most common group in a church is what? Sabbath school. Does that describe your Sabbath school? If it does, praise the Lord. May it keep growing and increase. If it doesn't, ask God to help that group become more like this. In some Sabbath schools, there's very much of this. In other Sabbath schools, it's kind of like the mini-sermon before the sermon later. And you can go to the same Sabbath school class for 20 years together and not know names, not know or be known. Or to talk, but not to serve together and be served. Or to go and not know that that person just had a new grandbaby in their family. There's something to celebrate there. Or that person is now engaged to get married. So we need to know our groups. We need, to, we need to change the configuration and the way we spend our time when we are in a group so that people are attracted and glom into groups rather than think, okay, when is this going to be over so we can get to the next thing? Okay? And it starts with a person who has a heart for God and for other people to take it, to move in this direction. It doesn't matter what kind of group. A choir, a church choir should have this happen. A Pathfinder club, an adventure club, this needs to be the characteristic. A Sabbath school group, a men's group, a men's women's group, a skateboarding ministry, a water ski ministry, a rafting ministry, a bicycling, any of these things need to have these characteristics where we're getting to know each other. We're listening to each other. We're praying for each other, encouraging each other, helping other people, bringing other people in. And it's possible. So here are some of the dynamics to it. Here is a list of inspired insights on groups from the Bible. And I would encourage you, if you're in a position to, to really dig into some of these and see what was happening and ask yourself questions like this. How were groups functioning here? How were they started? Why were they started? And what were they doing when they were functioning right? This is loaded with good stuff. Okay? 
here's a lot of Ellen White counsel on groups. And there's sections in Christian Service, Pastoral Ministry, Testimonies, Volume 7, and then two whole books that deal with a lot of things that relate to groups. Everybody got those pictures taken now? Okay, because we're going to move on along, okay? Okay, I'm going to give you three seconds. One, two, three. It's done, okay. Whew, just in time. All right, so here we go. Now, here are some principles of groups that help us get to where we want to go. Number one, start groups for every reason under the sun. Just start groups. Start them. Make it easy to start groups. Those groups don't have to last forever, but start them however you can. Sabbath school groups, start more of them. Let me tell you, a sign of a church that's dying, if they have the same number of Sabbath school groups as they did two years ago. Or less. Thank you. And so you know what happens when you try to start a new Sabbath school in a church like that? You know what they say? We can't even get people out to the ones we have. Why should we start another? And you know what you say with a big smile on your face? If you don't get much oil out of one well, you need to drill a new well. Does that make sense? Okay. So churches have, are very stunted if they only have one adult Sabbath school class. Okay? And you can start a new class. Somebody says, but who's going to teach it? We need to have professional te- That's the problem. All you need is three people who say, let's study the Bible together in this corner. You got yourself a class. Well, who's going to make sure that they, God and the Bible, if they get too far off base, we'll ask them to move outside. Doesn't happen. We have so many fears about that if we will just study God's word and let it change our lives. So start Sabbath schools. When I went to Richardson, we had three Sabbath school classes in the church sanctuary and they'd gotten bigger and bigger and each of the teachers were great teachers but they couldn't be heard because there's so many people there. So they talk louder and louder. So you had three loud speakers in this sanctuary with large groups. And they said, Pastor, what are we going to do about this? I said, well, it looks like we need about 12 groups in here instead. They said, what? And I said, when you have smaller groups, you don't have to talk as loud. And you get to know each other and serve together and love each other and celebrate together Instead of somebody has a lot of wisdom, they impart to everybody else. Okay? So, Sabbath school groups. By God's grace, we start planting Sabbath school groups all over the facility. We started a Spanish Sabbath school group. We, we found out that the official language of Ethiopia is Amharic. And we had some Amharic speakers. And we gave them a little room, and they started a group. And it started growing because people found out... We had an Amharic group. And so all Amharic speakers started showing up. And then I saw this elderly gentleman and his wife at the back of the church a couple Sabbaths. And I caught him after first service. And I said, excuse me, I don't think we've met. He says, well, I'm a retired Chinese pastor. Wow, awesome. Have you found a Sabbath school class you enjoy? No, we just go home and study in Chinese. Well, what if we gave you a little room in the church to start a Chinese Sabbath school? Would you do? Well, yeah, yeah. And pretty soon we have seven or eight, ten people in a Chinese Sabbath school class. I don't think they were teaching heresy, but I don't know because I don't speak Chinese. But we're baptizing people, and I think it was probably safe. So 
anyway, and then we started a Kenya Rwandan Sabbath school. I didn't even know that that was a language. I'm sorry for if you speak it, but I didn't even know it was a language. But all of a sudden we had 15 Kenya Rwandan refugees in the community that we didn't know were there until we had a few leaders. But you start planting groups and they will often, if they're healthy, start attracting more people. You see, you're not just saying, well, we're going to subdivide and weaken what we have. No, you're planting, you're digging new wells, you're getting more water, you're getting more oil, you're attracting more people. So you start Sabbath school groups. You start ministry groups. If you were here last time, we talked about the four connections. Use that to start as many ministry groups as you can. You start Bible study groups. Every home of hope, we talked about that last time, every home of hope can possibly be a home Bible study group. It doesn't mean they meet there forever. It means that they will maybe lead out a group for eight weeks. I often have an eight-week study in my own home for my neighbors. If we have a Jewish lady that comes, just had a, she was hedge trimming and just had an accident last week. Took off almost three of her fingers. They sewed them back on. But she let me pray that God would heal her in Jesus' name. She's Jewish, and she's very clear she's Jewish. And she doesn't like it when we talk about Jesus, but she'll say, Lord, whenever, we say, whenever we're reading in the Bible. She, you know, but she knows we love her, and we care about her, and she's welcome there. And that's better than anywhere else she's gone. Okay? So these things, you, you just, we're embracing people. Uh, mission groups. One year, by God's grace, we sent out nine mission teams from one church. Now, some of them were two people, but that's how Jesus did it. (laughs) And we found out, you're going, you're going over to the Seychelles Islands in the Indian Ocean on vacation? Do you have enough glow tracks for that trip? (laughs) Load them up. Give a report when you get back of how God used it. That's one of our mission trips. We're praying for you. Oh, I better start thinking about what I'm doing while I'm there. (laughs) Anybody who's traveling can be a mission group, right? Okay? Recreational groups to help people connect. Anything you have in common. Just get it going. Start it. Have fun with it. We had a whitewater rafting group when I pastored in the Northwest. In this group, we had this guy who had been down the Wenatchee River over 200 times. Great whitewater rafting. And he was a nurse at the hospital. So he'd get... He had a couple rafts. He'd get some of his church friends and some of his work friends together and offer to take him down for free, down the river. And he'd make sure each raft had half and half and half and half. And there'd be other people putting in their rafts and they're just about ready to go. And he told me, he says, here's what I always do just before we go as we're putting in the rafts and people are getting in their rafts. I say, just a minute before we go anywhere, we need to pray and ask for God to be with us. And he said, all of the Adventists go like this. And all of the pre-Adventists go like this. Is it that dangerous? (laughs) That we have to pray? And he knows they're going to say that. So he says, see those people over there putting in their raft? They don't even have a prayer. Everybody laughs. He prays. And they go down the river and they come out friends. They can invite people to other things. You get that picture? So groups, you just multiply them. All you can, start them for every reason. The four connections, use those four connections. Second, leaders are the key to the success of groups. Okay? Leaders don't have to be 
highly trained and highly skilled and highly, highly anything. But if God gave them an idea and they'll get a few of their friends together and they'll ask somebody on the church board to be their mentor and they stay connected to God, they can start leading people to Jesus. Okay? And so you want to foster the spirit that everybody can start a group. We had a lady coming to church. She was not an Adventist. She said, I'm a single mom and it's tough. And God's put in my heart to start a single mom's uh, support and study group. And I said, bless you. You can't do that till you're baptized. I didn't say that at all. I said, if God's put that on your heart, find some partners and then find somebody on the church board to be your mentor, not just for the group, but actually to help her take other steps she wanted to take with the Lord and then start leading people to Jesus. And she took off and ran with it, ran a a nine-week program. Praise the Lord. So people can do this, but the church board mentors can help the people who are trying to do it and help them navigate. And then they get excited. The church board meeting is different. Instead of, well, um, how are we going to make the finances work here? They start saying, I have a new group I've agreed to mentor. We have this team of three people who go to this public school on the other side of Dallas, but they know something about health because they're our church members, and they have started staying and teaching the kids how to be healthier, and then after school, the parents come in and they teach the parents how to become healthier. And the first time I hear as a pastor is on the church board. Now, for you pastors, oftentimes nothing happens unless you're pushing it. It shouldn't be that way at all. It's completely backwards and upside down. But when you're empowered and you start going out, then there's a way for the church board mentor to report to the board. And the church board becomes a time of celebrating what God's doing throughout the city through the people. Okay? Um, We like to have three group leaders. Upreach, inreach, outreach. The upreach is the main leader And their main job is to make sure their group is connected with God. The inreach is the second leader. Their main job is to help people connect with each other in the group, to help new people feel welcomed, and help the group reach out to anybody that's missing. Okay? And the third leader is the outreach leader, and they're the one who encourages the group to have a prayer list and people they're serving and reaching out to and trying to win for the Lord, and then every so often to encourage the group to go as a group to do some type of service or ministry together. And that gives the balance to the group. Now, a Sabbath school group has a lot more Bible study time But they should also have some connecting time where they can know and be known and celebrate and be celebrated. And they should have some outreach time where they can be praying with each other for people and and planning outreach. On the other hand, a um, soccer ministry will have a whole lot of recreation and connecting with everybody. But they should have prayer and a short devotional at the beginning for the upreach part. And they should know each other and be kind to each other when they're playing soccer. And they should be talking about how can we help bless other people who don't know the Lord. And if we don't know the Lord, how can we help them? How can we be helped? So you see, no matter what kind of group, you need all three leaders. 
So I, I, as our church transitioned to groups, I said to all of our leaders, we need to move in this direction. And I looked at the choir director. Up until this point, the choir director's main job was to pick the music and try to get good sound out of the people. All of a sudden, now their main job is to make sure that everybody in the choir has a living connection with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Will that help with music? Yes. That'll help people who are off key to not sing as loud. It's a wonderful thing. And so all of a sudden the group becomes something different than just the choir. And you don't have such bickering and all of it. It's, it's about connecting with God, connecting with each other, reaching out to bring other people in to be connected with God and, and the movement. Okay? So, before I go any farther, any questions or comments on what we covered so far? Okay, it's perfectly clear. Oh, yes. How do you get people what? Oh, how do you get them connected with each other? Oh, to God? Okay, so the main leader, let's say if the upreach leader... um, Tell me, what, tell me a group. Just pick a group out of thin air and I'll give you an example. Vacation Bible School. All right. So the Vacation Bible School, typically you find the program and then you try to get the staff and you get them all together and you go through all the, all the routines. Okay. So you still pick the program. You do it a little more prayerfully. You recruit the people a little more prayerfully. But at your first meeting, we say, you know, God knows the kids and their families in this community better than we do. And we need to be ready to minister to them. So let's have 10 minutes set aside right now to pray to him that we will be ready to show love, his love to these kids. Let's read some of the things Jesus said about children, how important they are. And so all of a sudden, it's not about get it done, get it planned. Because like, a lot of choleric people are vacation Bible school leaders. <laughs> it's now about what does God have for us and how can I help my staff really see that and have that. And then the leader can just say, I'd like you, to, as you go home tonight, take a little time. And if you haven't really talked to God on your own much or read the Bible much, this is the time to do it so that you're ready to prepare for this. So it's just simple. It's not complex, highly, thing, you know, read these 1,000 pages of devotional books or anything like that. It's just the, the, the leader is the key, and they're fostering. They're wanting those people to have a connection. How are things going with you? Are you enjoying time with God? Tell, let's talk about things we're learning from our Bible study. Okay? All right. Okay, then let's move on. Three, Adventist groups will be soul-winning groups. Every group should be winning souls. And as we transition our groups to soul-winning groups, they get more excited. That means to be a soul-winning group, we need to set baptismal dates by faith. Every church ought to fill their baptistry at least once a quarter just to make sure it doesn't leak. Okay? Just those dates ought to be set. There ought to be baptismal prayer lists within those groups. And of course, this can be part of the, the spiritual growth and connection within the group. 
have prayer partners within the groups, praying with each other, for each other. Look for most receptive people. Begin Bible studies with those receptive people. So every group becomes a soul-winning agency. Ellen White writes a lot about how Sabbath school groups can win souls. Well, every group can win souls. Okay? Four, group leaders need mentoring and accountability. One church board mentor for each group. The mentor doesn't do your ministry, but listens and gives counsel and is your representative on the church board. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this basic principle with you. We recommend here in Texas that a church look at their attendance and have one-tenth that many groups. If you have 100 people attending, you need to have at least 10 groups. If you have 50 people attending, you need at least 5 groups. If you have 200 attending, you need at least 20 groups. Otherwise, you're going to miss a lot of people. What are those groups? A lot of those groups are Sabbath school groups. And keep adding to that. Some are other ministry groups. Sometimes you have the same people in several groups, and that's fine. But you keep adding groups. So when I was at Richardson, we were averaging in our two services about 700 people on a Sabbath. 70 groups. And you've heard people say, well, in those big churches, you get lost. In most of them, you do get lost. But not if you have 70 groups. You are always in a place where you know and are known, where you love and are loved, serve and are served, where you're winning people together and looking out for each other. So we didn't have to have some record keeper seeing who wasn't there so we could send them a card or whatever. It happened naturally within the groups. You see that picture? Instead of a sophisticated organizational system, we had love (laughs) and groups. But every group had three leaders, and every leader had a church board mentor. And the church board, we talk about our groups and help minister to the leaders. Okay? Number five, how to start a group. We talked about this in the last seminar. To start a group, recruit three, three group leaders, including yourself and one church board mentor. Then start leading people to Jesus and into his final movement. The four connections. God, partner, mentor, flock. God, partner, mentor, flock. And then just go for it. Just go for it. Uh, number six, how to use groups to enter new territory. Um, if you say, I want our Sabbath school group to reach out to this community over here that doesn't know the Adventist message. We want to go start going into it one Sabbath afternoon a month to show them Jesus' love and care and help them. Then recruit your group, target your 10,000 population, which basically means pick a public high school and all the community around it, and then pick your pastor, mentor, request your resources and go for it. If you want ideas on how to do that, be sure you pick up one or more of these cards for each person in your group, okay? In fact, would you pass these out if anybody would like any of these? We call them advanced teams, okay? Uh, all right, if you don't have one already. All right, let's do some group stories. This is where it gets fun. Okay, I'm going to ask this gentleman right here. Pick one of those pictures and let me tell about a group. This one right here? Okay, that's Wally. All right, here's how this started. I went to a new district, 
And I was beginning to realize we need groups that are soul winning groups. How are we going to do this? And I thought we start with Sabbath school. So I said to my Sabbath school superintendent, Dick Mayer, great guy, dentist. I said, Dick, will you take a couple of Sabbaths with me and we're going to visit every Sabbath school class and we're going to ask them to do outreach one Sabbath afternoon a month as a class together. He says, wow, we've never done that. I said, isn't it amazing? You could study the Bible together 20 years and never share Jesus together. It's an amazing, see, we get it out of balance if we don't have the three. And so we made a list of over a hundred different kinds of ministries. And Dick Mayer and I started visiting each Sabbath school class, about five minutes in each class. We said this coming year, we're challenging your group to pick a ministry and do it at least one Sabbath a month all the way through the new year. And here's a starter list of ideas. And we had some classes go Cool, we're going to go for this. And then we had some grumpy classes that said, why are you wanting us to do that? Well, you don't waste your time with the grumpy people. You say, God bless you, do your best. And spend time with those who want to move forward. Okay? Don't try to get everybody moving forward. Work with the, pick the fruit that's ripe outside the church to win souls and in the church to mobilize members. Pick the fruit that's ripe. Start there. Okay? And so... We came to this one class of yuppies. Now, some of you young people don't even know that term, but yuppies means young, upwardly mobile professionals. It means young people who have too much money on their, their hands, okay? And so I came to the yuppies. They called their class the young and the rest of us, okay? And some of you get that, and others it's too far in the past. So we came to that class. They looked at the list. They said, we want to pick ministry to the poor, And somebody said, we don't know any poor people. And somebody said, well, let's find some and help them. And one person said, well, there's some homeless people that sleep under the bridge that goes over across to the other town. And somebody else said, you know, I think that the Salvation Army gives them a hot meal Monday to Friday, but they don't have a hot meal on Sabbath or anything to eat on Sunday, the homeless people. Why don't, we, why don't we take a hot meal on Sabbath and give them a sack lunch they could save for the next day? And somebody in the class says, wait a minute. Pastor said one Sabbath afternoon a month. Now you're talking every Sabbath. Somebody says, well, they're hungry every Sabbath. We're a big enough class. We can subdivide in four groups and it's not that hard. Huh. Okay. Uh, and by God's grace, through their struggle... <laughs> They came out with four teams. Each one had one Sabbath afternoon a month to go to Locomotive Park right by the bridge and provide a hot meal and a sack lunch to anyone in any kind of weather. Whether it was 102 degrees out or whether there was four inches of snow on the ground, there'd be a hot meal and a sack lunch. Now, my kids were growing up and I wasn't going to all of the outreach because all of a sudden, with, we had about 12 Sabbath school groups at that time in this church of about 600. We weren't anywhere close to where we needed to be, but we were starting to dig more wells, get more stuff happening. And so we started seeing more activity. And some of the Sabbath school classes were doing things. So I would rotate around and just give them encouragement. And when I'd go to the homeless ministry, or the, I would take my kids because I wanted them to see what happens 
if you use alcohol. If alcohol ads required you to show and feature people who use their products for 30 years, they wouldn't have the sales they have now. Okay? And so here we were. A lot of the homeless, some were out of jobs, but a whole lot of them were into alcohol or drugs. So I'm out there helping serve, and I got to know the names of people. And I, here comes a guy through line. I said, Johnny, how you doing? And he says, you just think I'm a drunk, don't you? We all act and speak out of our own self-identity. And he saw himself as a drunk, and he thought everybody else saw himself that way too. I hadn't said a thing about it. I was trying to be friendly and helpful. You just think I'm a drunk, aren't you? I said, well, Johnny, I know I'm just asking how you're doing. And then he said, I'm not as bad as Wally. We can always find somebody worse than us so we feel better about ourselves. But that doesn't last long. We need our identity in Jesus, not in where we are in a social structure. And I looked over and, yep, there was Wally lying on the grass. There was one of our assistants offering a plate of hot food, saying, do you want this, Wally? And there Wally said, right there while we watched, you just put it, put it there in the grass. And they set it there in the grass. And Wally rolled over into it. And there was a big wet spot on his pants from where he couldn't control himself because he's drunk. And I thought, poor Wally, poor Johnny. We're going to love people that may not have seen love before. Just keep serving. A few months later, I go to India, preach the gospel. Come back. And everybody says, did you hear what happened to Wally? I said, did he die? I mean, that's, he's in his mid-50s. He's abused his body all those years. It's hard life. He's, and I said, did he die? No, he's, he's alcohol-free. I said, how is that? And the Holy Spirit says, Pastor Dan Cerns, you, where is your faith? I said, tell me, that, tell me about it. And they said, they picked him, arrested him for public intoxication one more time. They put him in required detox. They told him, you need to pick a higher power. It can be a light bulb or a doorknob, but pick a higher power. And this is about the 50th time through this. And this time he picked the God of those people who keep being kind to me on Saturday afternoons. And guess what that God did for him? Gave him freedom from alcohol. And I wanted to go see Wally and I saw him. And he had been started coming to church. And we had a church member who had had an alcohol addiction that she had never talked about it much because that wasn't the proper thing to talk about at church. But we're beginning to be more transparent with our struggles and our victories. And she and her husband got close to Wally because they knew what it was like and what journey he had ahead of him. And they got closer to him and walked with him and helped him ultimately find an apartment. And he, God gave him victory over tobacco And this is the picture of Wally on the day that I baptized him in Lake Chelan in north central Washington. And he gave his testimony and he said, I've done a lot of bad things in my life. I've served time for some of them. I've broken every single one of the Ten Commandments. But all that's being washed away today. He said, I... Tried to get in touch with my family. I haven't talked to them in 22 years. And I couldn't find them. So you're just going to have to be my family here. 
And that church needed Wally as much as Wally needed that church. But what if we hadn't challenged Sabbath school groups to add in an outreach component? We never would have known Wally. Two years later, Wally died because of the residual effects of all of his life. We put in the newspaper, memorial service for Wally Briggs, public invited, open mic, sharing time. Besides the church members, a hundred people from the community came. And they lined up and they said, one lady said, I work in the library. Wally comes in and says, have I told you about what my Jesus has done for me this week? The people who've worked here longer tell me he used to come in drunk to get out of the cold. Another stepped up and said, I've been Wally's primary care physician for over a decade. Treated him for fights he got into and alcohol abuse. Two years ago, something changed and I've only had to see him not as often, but just some residual stuff from there. God worked through Wally, but it was by helping groups add that component. Okay? All right, one more. No, do we have time? Yep, we have time for maybe one more. Okay, somebody, I'm going to ask this young man right here. Pick one of those. Middle right. This is right here. This guy? Lee Batten. Oh, this guy. All right. So God gave some, when I got to Richardson and we start talking about the four connections and what idea is God giving you and how to go forward, Lee got together with another person in the church and said, let's start a basketball ministry. Well, we didn't have a basketball court anywhere near our church. We didn't have facility. It doesn't have to be at the building. You can have a ministry anywhere in the city. You know what I'm talking about? They found an apartment complex where one of the church members lived. They had a basketball court, and they began meeting on Sunday mornings having basketball. But they knew that this was the fellowship component. You know, hey, where's so-and-so? What's a... But they needed the upreach and the outreach component. And so the leader said, okay, before we start, we're going to have a devotional, a little short thought on God's word, and we're going to pray with each other and for each other. And then we're going to think about people who need the Lord and invite them to basketball so we can reach them too. And I'll tell you, that was a different kind of basketball. You weren't, you know, you know oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, I almost said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. (laughs) And they had fun together. And I baptized some people out of that ministry. It's just the way it works. You're connecting with each other. And they still have that ministry going on. It's been rolling for about eight or ten years. Different people coming through, others moving on, but they just keep on doing it. You get this idea. Simple ways to get groups going. Let me give you a few announcements as we wrap it up. If you are interested in taking an epic journey through the Bible, we're starting tomorrow, January 1. It's a five-year plan to read the entire Bible and the corresponding parts in the classic commentary called the Conflict of the Ages. Okay? This first year is going to be the Gospels and the Desire of Ages. And There are bookmarks that will come out, but you can download them online. They're not quite up there. They'll be up there in a few weeks. But you can get all of the reading for January. And if you want to find out more about that, this is great for personal devotions or family worship, one of those groups, or small groups, or even a church-wide study. It'll be in Spanish and English, ultimately. And you can find out more at texasevangelism.com slash epic. Okay? Here's one more announcement. 
two more announcements. Total member involvement training. If you are in or near Texas, we are coming to your area. Eight different training locations. Sabbath afternoon, eight locations in Texas, 16 seminar tracks, English and Spanish, and one mission. Total member involvement to start something new to win souls. And you can go to texasevangelism.com slash train and get the locations and dates and times. And then another one is ESL outreach training. There are parts of the world where the best way we can make friends for the Lord is to share English conversation. And we are providing tuition-free a whole week of training, June 16 to 23, on the campus of Southwestern Adventist University in Keene, Texas, um, ESL training and how to make friends and share your faith in other parts of the world and how to mobilize to other parts of the world to do it short, medium, or long term. So if you want to learn more about that, texasevangelism.com slash ESL. Okay. This message was recorded at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.